Welcome to Who's in STEM. I'm Ken Ono, your host and the STEM advisor to the provost and the Marvin Rosenblum Professor of Mathematics at the University of Virginia. On Who's in STEM, our goal is to evoke flights of imagination and wonder by showcasing the cornucopia of all that is STEM at UVA. The marvelous world of UVA science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Do you recognize the riff? It's a cover performed by UVA alum Sean Conway. It's a cover of Superstition, Stevie Wonder's Grammy Award-winning Billboard number one hit from 1973. Well, what to say? Stevie Wonder is, without question, one of the most creative and influential musicians of all time. And he belongs to an extraordinary who's who in music, including Diana Ross and the Supremes, Marvin Gaye, The Four Tops, Gladys Knight and the Pips, The Jackson Five, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson, and the list goes on. In the 60s and 70s, these artists churned out waves of chart-topping hits. I'm talking about the artists that make up Motown Records. Behind the scenes at Motown, there was one man who had an extraordinary gift, the ability to identify and then cultivate musical talent. And I'm talking about Barry Gordy. He carefully directed the public image and the choreography of the music. He even composed some of the music, and he led countless artists to megastardom. Today, here at UVA, STEM achievements are our chart-topping hits, the things that are making the news. Just like the Motown hits from the 60s and 70s, UVA scientists are churning out significant scientific discoveries, making the world a better place. There are too many to list here, but let me name a few. UVA doctors perfect precision ultrasound brain surgery. No scalpel, no blood. UVA's Department of Environmental Science restores water ecosystems. UVA chemists receive multi-million dollar grant in the pursuit of clean energy. UVA Engineering's link labs connecting the cyber and the physical worlds. UVA's Biocomplexity Institute tracking COVID. UVA psychologists develop mental health app to combat anxiety. UVA researchers invent and perfect an artificial pancreas improving the lives of hundreds of thousands of diabetics. I love this one. UVA mathematicians answer centuries-old problems in geometry. $100 million gift launches the Manning Institute for Biotechnology, and the list goes on. Just like Motown has Barry Gordy, UVA has Meller Ramasubramanian, who goes by Ram. He's behind the scenes managing it all. Ram is UVA's Vice President for Research, that's UVA's Chief Research Officer, and he's responsible for managing and developing UVA's research enterprise and portfolio. It's probably embarrassing him, but Ram, you are Barry Gordy of research here. So Ram, welcome to Who's in STEM. Wow, uh, what an introduction, Ken. Uh, I'm truly uh, flattered by the comparison of my work with that of the music legend Barry Gordy. Uh, first, I want to express my sincere gratitude for inviting me to the Who's in STEM podcast. 
I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to other episodes featuring STEM celebrities, and it never crossed my mind that I would have the opportunity to be a guest on this podcast. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Well, uh, before we talk about your important role at UVA, let's talk about your research. What are you proud of? What are you known for? Yeah, that's a great question. I've always pursued use-inspired engineering research and have explored various problems. It's quite remarkable how one of my projects, in hindsight, ended up becoming my most renowned work, especially considering that I didn't expect it at the time. In the early 2000s, many researchers were working on developing painless microneedles for drug delivery and blood draw using silicon micromachining technologies. Their design had a problem. The needles would go into the skin, but when they peel the patch, you will have debris left in because the silicon needles are brittle. So people tried polymeric needles, but they were not stiff enough to get into the skin. I was thinking about this problem uh, in North Carolina. On a hot summer day, I observed that a mosquito was drawing blood from my skin, and I did not feel the pain. Just happened to notice it. When done, the mosquito pulled its needle from my skin and flew away and did not leave any debris. Of course, we all know it leaves some saliva, some heparin, and causes havoc afterwards. This observation got me curious. I did some elementary buckling calculations using the famous Euler-Buckling equation uh, to confirm that the mosquito fascicle should buckle before penetration into the skin. So how does a mosquito do it? To dig deeper into this intriguing phenomenon, I drafted a proposal to the National Science Foundation, which was fortunately funded. Through high-speed filming of a mosquito biting into the human skin, I made critical observations on the dynamics of mosquito bite and chose mathematics as the tool to explain the phenomenon. I developed a mathematical model that incorporated the concepts related to vibration and buckling, divergence and flutter instabilities, and I considered the role of various anatomies in the process of penetration. One of the most significant findings from this endeavor was the realization that the labium, that is the outer sheath covering this needle, which is called the fascicle, served a purpose beyond mere protection of the fascicle as previously thought. This seemingly passive sheath is an integral structural component essential for the mosquito's biting process. My calculations showed that it increased the critical load by a factor of five, enabling the penetration process. I published the results of this work in 2008 in the Journal of Bioinspiration and Biomimetics. Eight years later, PBS.org created a captivating high-definition video of a mosquito bite up close and shared it through its renowned platform, Deep Look. The video clearly shows the process I describe in my paper and understandable to a broader audience. Last I checked, this episode had 22 million views. Since then, lots of progress has been made in uh, microneedle design inspired by mosquito bite mechanics. Uh, other applications such as mosquito bite resistant fabrics are still under development. However, the mathematical explanation I initially provided for the mosquito biting process in 2008 remains to this day significant contribution. Wow, Ram. Um, so as a mathematician, I, I love hearing about the mathematics and the solving of equations. Thank you for making these needles better. You never know where your inspiration comes from. It, for you, it came from a mosquito bite. How amazing. In fact, you know, that's what we do in science. We learn so much from the environment that we inhabit. And uh, I think there's a lot that all of us can learn uh, from your story, right? Some of our best results come from unexpected places. 
So as the head of UVA's Office of Research, tell us, what does your office do? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. Um, the mission of my office is to grow, support, and protect UVA research and move UVA research across all disciplines from prominence to preeminence. Our approach is to provide comprehensive assistance to faculty members, helping them succeed in their research aspirations. How do we do this? We facilitate uh, growth in research by bringing funding opportunities to researchers, advocating for their research to external funders, as well as catalyzing interdisciplinary research through seed funding mechanisms. An important part of our work is ensuring the smooth operation of our research enterprise and infrastructure. We are especially focused on business process and regulatory compliance infrastructure. Why is this important? It is estimated that a faculty member spends 42% of his or her time writing grants, managing grants after the award, writing reports, and meeting compliance requirements. In short, we make this aspect of the work of a faculty member as easy as possible. It is all about teamwork in my office. Our research has grown nearly 40% since 2016 and stands at $650 million in expenditures and $450 million in new awards in FY23. Our Higher Education Research and Development, or HERD, ranking has moved from 56 to as high as 44. This year, I have early indications that it will be a record, approaching our goal of $500 million in new awards that we set out for ourselves in 2016. I'm proud of this accomplishment, and this speaks to the outstanding and competitive faculty we have at UVA and a dedicated team of professionals in my office supporting their research. Strap on your seatbelts because STEM may be humming now at UVA, but I think with your leadership and the support of President Ryan and, and Provost Balcom, I think things are about to take off. I kind of want to speak to our first meeting. I haven't been here at UVA very long myself. I came in 2019, and I hadn't even yet unpacked my boxes, my boxes of books in Kirchhoff Hall, when I got an email from you asking for a meeting. And I've been a professor many places before, but the idea that the vice president of research was keeping an eye on new faculty coming in, I thought that was extraordinary. So I kind of want to turn the tables here, Ram, a bit. As I've gotten to know you, I've learned that you are a, are a fascinating man, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about some of that, your life story, your interests. So in your own words, tell us, how did you get to this position? Yeah, thank you for that question. This answer could be really long, but I'll keep it really short. Because as Pink Floyd uh, says, you know, the long, uh, the longer you live, the higher you fly, and <laughs> and you know, so on. So this story will be long, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, I was a first-generation college student and a first-generation graduate student, and I grew up in a modest family in India. I had practically no resources to fund my interests and hobbies. Ever since I can remember, I've been interested in engineering and especially building things. I was interested in building an audio amplifier when I had no device to even provide the input to amplify. <laughs> I remember that my next door neighbor bought a cassette player, more like a Walkman, as you know, um, some people may not know what it is. Um, he was a generous man letting me come over and listen to music with him. When you are resource constrained and you are determined, you become a risk taker and entrepreneurial. 
I pitched to my neighbor that I can build an audio amplifier for him to augment his listening experience. I'd never built an amplifier before, but I had the circuit. I even had the components priced out. I knew exactly what to do, but I'd never done it before. I had no backup plan should this fail to function, and I had no way uh, to return his money. Success was the only option. He took the risk and gave me the money. Make long story short, I built the amplifier and delivered it, and it worked. And how old were you? I was probably was 16 years old oh, at okay. the time, yeah. so probably the fearless uh, age. <laughs> All these risks didn't mean much. I just wanted to do it and got done. Um, I want to reflect on um, what first generation means to me and how I experienced it. As a first-gen student, I had very little to go with on strategies for getting into college, let alone the engineering college. Those were the days in India before photocopying, personal computers, and internet. The newspaper section on opportunities was the only source of information. I followed a very unfamiliar process, just checking, looking over my shoulder with my friends, what they do, et cetera, and ended up in a college, prestigious college, National Institute of Technology, but way away, far away from my home in Kolkata. Mm. I grew up in Chennai. I didn't even think of it. I just applied. I got in. I said, I, w I went there. I graduated with a BS in mechanical engineering, and I was determined to pursue graduate education after that. Again, the same story. Well-informed uh, classmates knew exactly what to do, and I learned from them. And I came to uh, Miami uh, uh, University for a master's degree and later received my PhD uh, in mechanical engineering from Syracuse University. Uh, following that, I worked in the industry R&D for several years, living in Upper Wisconsin, where ice fishing was the only game in town, <laughs> coming, from, from coming from the beaches of Chennai. And you could drive on the lake, and then you could ice fish if you want. That's your winter uh, sport. Uh, and I returned to academia after that as an assistant professor of mechanical aerospace engineering at NC State, where I spent most of my academic career. While in industry, I created a funding program for partnerships. This notion of this VPR way out in the future kind of showed its head way, way early. I funded programs for partnerships with academic institutions and supported PhD students to work on basic research of interest to the company at three universities, Cal Berkeley, NC State, and Auburn, and stayed in touch with academia and graduate education. I never thought I would pursue a career in academic administration. There was a bifurcation point soon after I became a full professor. I wanted to explore other opportunities to possibly change directions in research and in my career. I received a Fulbright Fellowship to work on microfluidics at the University of Trondheim, Norway. I even had the dates for attending the Nobel Prize ceremony mm -hmm. that year. Some lucky Fulbrighters were invited to attend if they were selected by a lottery. Uh, at the same time, the National Science Foundation offered me a position to serve as the program director for the Interdisciplinary Graduate Education and Research Traineeship, or the IGERT program, when I was all set to leave for Norway. After consulting with some of my most esteemed colleagues, I made the point of no return decision to take the NSF position. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. After NSF, I pursued a department chairmanship at Clemson, deeper into administration for five years, returned to NSF to direct the flagship program uh, called the Engineering Research Centers Program, or the ERC. I was planning to be there for full four years of my stint, but I left early when UVA offered this irresistible position of VPR in 2017, and I have been here ever since. 
all in all, I've stayed with ACC schools throughout my mm. career, if you noticed. <laughs> Just a coincidence. Well, Ram, thanks for sharing that world tour. We, you start Chennai, Kolkata, Wisconsin, Miami, um, Syracuse, and the, these various stops in the ACC and NSF. That's, wow, what a multifaceted professionals tour with so many different life lessons. So you work at so many different things here at the university and in your research. Do you have any spare time? Do you have any hobbies? Yeah, of course I do. Um, uh, yeah, several several people know that uh, I'm an avid uh, high altitude uh, mountain climber. Wait. In fact, I have something planned um, next month. And, uh, and high I, altitude? You mean as in Everest or Kilimanjaro? Uh, as in, but Everest is aspirational. Uh, at this point, I, I think that I wouldn't do that. But beyond uh, anything up to twenty three thousand feet, so <laughs> twenty one to twenty three. Thousand feet, like uh, I have done um, Aconcagua, uh, Peru, Pisco in Peru, uh, uh, Kilimanjaro that you mentioned, wow. Mount, <laughs> Mount Fuji, and uh, and various uh, various uh, peaks, uh, Stoke Congri, and others in the Himalayan region. Uh, they're all about 20,000, 20, 23,000 feet is my sort of sweet spot. Wow. Okay. Um, circling back to the the beginning of our episode. Um, I compared you with Barry Gordy. I didn't expect you were going to be uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. <laughs> but I guess that's for a different different podcast. But we opened the episode, and I wanted to make the direct comparison uh, with Barry Gordy, the legendary founder and mastermind behind Motown Records. But I also know that there is something quite poetic. You are something of a Barry Gordy in real life in music. Tell us about that. Again, I can't get over this comparison to Barry Gordy, <laughs> but, but I'll continue on. Um, uh, our listeners may not know that I'm a bit of a music aficionado. I grew up in a rich world music environment, especially South Indian classical music. I also grew up listening to Western music. In fact, some of my favorites are Pink Floyd, The Eagles, The Bee Gees, ABBA, and so on. As you may know, Ken, the classical music festival in Chennai, India is a phenomenal experience. Literally hundreds of concerts all day long at practically all auditoriums in the city that you can hop from one concert to the next for about six weeks. Again, I did not have the resources to listen to primetime artists live unless there were, uh, there were a few uh, free ones that I could go to. I made up for it in North Carolina by working with the community to bring Indian classical music to the area and create cultural diversity. I was the president of the Indian Classical Music and Dance Society in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I presided over the ICMDS board to select and solicit artists to perform for this fledgling organization while they were touring big cities. We did about eight to 10 concerts a year. As an audiophile, I was obsessed with the live concerts and the quality of sound and making sure that the audience got the best experience. Besides, it was expensive to hire audio engineers for every concert, so we had to cut cost. As a result, I took on the role of sound engineer and managed <laughs> the soundboard for nearly 100 You did it yourself. I did it myself. As a, as a result, I did that uh, for over 120 uh, concerts over 15 years. The artists included a Grammy Award winner and several others who have won the equivalent of Grammy in India, such as the Sangeet Natak Academy Award, Sangeet Kalanidhi, Padma Bhushan, etc., after some years of reputation building, Raleigh became a must-stop for touring artists from India, especially the upcoming ones. 
Some have taken my recording and have directly published them as their live concert albums. I founded another organization called the South Indian Fine Arts Academy to focus on the uh, Carnatic music. Although Carnatic music is ancient, uh, the formal systematic version of Carnatic music as we know today is often attributed to the contributions of uh, several music scholars and composers, particularly the trinity of Carnatic music in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Carnatic music is characterized by its melodic structure and rhythmic patterns. The foundation of Carnatic music lies in the set of ragas. These are melodic scales. There's ascending scale, there's a descending scale, and, uh, and that defines the raga. And talas, the rhythmic cycle, the precise timing, and uh, uh, is defined in uh, various talas. These ragas and talas provide a framework for rendering compositions and improvising in a concert performance. Improvising is the key. That is the difference between uh, Western music and, uh, and particularly Carnatic music. And well, jazz is, uh, you can say, there is an uh, analogy here. Mm -hmm. uh, but improvisation and how intelligent they are in improvising and how they effortlessly improvise without mistakes mm -hmm. and graciously land where they should land is something to watch. That's what people go to these concerts for. The primary emphasis in Carnatic music is on vocal music, although instrumental performances are also common. So you said that uh, as sound engineer, you would uh, perfect and then package some of these recordings for, well, to be shared with the public. Is there something you could share with us? Sure. Uh, we can listen to a sample uh, of uh, my recording. The artists are T.M. Krishna on uh, vocal, uh, Sriram Kumar on violin, and Arun Prakash on mridangam, which is a double-sided drum. This was perhaps in 2003 timeframe. I don't exactly have the date. I gave you the raw footage, actually. Um, this is a beautiful raga called Amsanandi, and the composition is from a 15th century anthology called Thirupugar, composed by Arunagiri Nathar. The fast pace, short um, length with improvisations is typically performed towards the end of a concert. So I think we have the snippet. Uh Please enjoy. So many of our listeners are students, and based on your many, many experiences, what advice can you offer our students who, who are listening? With, with, what wisdom can you, can you offer them? It's actually, it's quite simple uh, to recognize that time is the most valuable resource. All of us have 24 hours in a day, regardless of resources, other resources you have. When you are determined to do something, and make it your priority, you will always find time. Selecting to spend time on important things, and even more importantly, what not to spend time on is the most important strategy in life. Uh, never be afraid to take calculated risks and give your best to succeed in them. Otherwise, you will never know what your potential is. Um, for example, this bifurcation point, if you go in this direction, my colleague said, you'll become an administrator, department chair, and maybe a dean, and, and so on. That's how your career will progress if you go to NSF. 
But if you go in the Trondheim, you will you will become an expert in that field. You already had a Fulbright Fellowship, and you will end up as an endowed professor somewhere and will continue to publish papers. That's the choice you have in front of you. Once I made the decision, I just move. I just uh, take it as a matter of fact and forget about everything else. Mountaineering is the same way. You go up and there is a crevasse here. You want to go to the left to go around it, go to the right to go around it. You're looking at two snow bridges, which bridge to walk on. One could collapse. One could just stay intact when you walk. So you take all the precautions and say, okay, you will rope up, and the first guide goes across. And if he's across, then it's safe because if you fall, then you know some on both ends, somebody will catch you. That's all the support you need. You don't make the decision, what if I could have gone that way? If it failed, you're going to fall in the crevasse, but you have the rope. You will actually, you know, you have the training to climb out of it. We'll deal with it. We would never say, oh, I should have gone the other way. I mean, what a fool I am. And never. Sometimes you will fail. But those are the experiences that will shape your character. There is no loss in any of this. Great wisdom. Well, that was wonderful, Ram. Mountain climber, that, that's new to me. You're the facilitator in chief for research. Your life story has so much to offer our listeners. I guess what I would say is that you're a shining example of President Ryan's vision for UVA, to be great and good in all that we do. So thank you for your dedication to UVA. Thank you for your service as our CEO of research. And I'm Ken Ono, STEM advisor to the provost and Marvin Rosenblum, professor of mathematics. And you've been listening to Who's in STEM. Who's in STEM is a production of WTJU 91.1 FM and the Office of the Provost at the University of Virginia. Who's in STEM is produced by Katherine Kossaboom, Rhea Verba, Mary Garner-McGee, and Katherine Hansen. Our music is composed and performed by Robert Schneider and John Ferguson of Apples in Stereo. Listen and subscribe to Who's in STEM on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with another conversation about scientific and technological innovation at the university.